Hello, Husky fans, and welcome to another episode of the UConn Pod. This is Amon Kidwai. I'm joined by Patrick Martin and Ryan Goodman for a special scouting report episode of the podcast. We have taken our best and brightest minds. We've put them in the film room. We locked the door for 48 hours. We said no water until you have insights about Miami and how they match up against Adama Sonogo, Jordan Hawkins, and the like. The Huskies are heading to the Final Four in Houston. We just had the send-off in stores. They are highly favored all of a sudden heading into things to win it all. They are the odds-on favorite to win the national championship, something we probably did not expect two weeks ago. But for this podcast, what we're going to do is break down the matchup between UConn and Miami. We're going to get down and dirty with the Hoopers. We're going to talk about on-court strategy, Jim Laranega, the Hurricanes. What are they all about? What are the problems they present? And how will UConn need to approach its plan of action in its Final Four game on Saturday? So, to start, Patrick, your initial thoughts about this Miami team and how they match up against UConn. Well, first of all, it's great to be back in the booth. Uh, happy 77 to 74 day for all those who celebrate. Uh, what, 23 years? Time flies when you're just racking up national championships. Um, but we're here to talk Miami. This is We're here to talk about the Canes. And you know what, what scares me most about Miami is that, like, if I told both of you guys that Two or three shot making, well, two two plucky shot making guards and one mismatch on the wing would be kind of storming their way to the final four. You probably think we were talking about Shabazz Napier, Ryan Boatwright, and DeAndre Daniels. Nope, we're also talking about Miami, and they have just ridden three incredibly hot hands plus some transcendent role play from two guys that we'll get to later. Um, and essentially they have this, this insane offensive juggernaut in these three guards that have become so hard to stop. And it's just, you know, they, they, they're, they're shot makers. They're, they're, yeah, I, I bucket is overused, but they are just buckets. And so far it's been difficult for teams to stop. They have gone through a heck of a road. You know, I think they, we're down by eight against Drake in the first game with about, I think, like four minutes left. Rotted off a 16 to one run, took care of Indiana in the second round. Um, kind of, you know, were stormed back in the second half against Houston and, and found some separation at the end. And then again, stormed back again in the second half against Houston, or I, I'm sorry, against Texas with uh, Dylan Disu out. Um, so, I mean, they've had, they, they are battle tested. They made the elite eight last year. Jim Laranega, for those who don't know, broke Husky fans heart in 2006 with George Mason. He knows how to get here. He's got incredibly talented guards. Guys, I'm, I'm scared. Like this is the pressure is on UConn. Now I, I hate that they are favorites right now because anything less than a blowout, I think the team's going to get tight and it could snowball into some kind of disaster, and we're leaving Houston empty-handed. 
Yeah, I think uh, Patrick touched on it, uh, but Miami really starts and ends with their guards. Their guards are extremely dangerous. You know, everyone kind of says that guards win in March and they are, you know, kind of the poster of of that saying. I mean, it's just, it's been ridiculous what they've been doing to these top teams. You know, Drake was, you know, the, the closest match they've had in this tournament and that was a popular upset pick, but, you know, they're able to eke out a win again with their, uh, you know, efficient shot making and guard play led by Nigel Pack, um, ACC player of the year, Isaiah Wong, and, uh, you know, mismatch nightmare, Jordan Miller. Um, you know, they're just, they're just so dangerous on the perimeter. If they get, you know, even a foot of space, they'll, they'll launch and, and, you know, can go off in an instant. Um, and not for nothing, they, they've played a couple cl- close games in this tournament. And I know, you know, it, it's great for Husky fans. You know, we're, we're blowing out our competition every game, you know, not, not, nothing scaring us basically. Um, but I, I think it, there's something to it that, you know, Miami's been in these close games. They've, they've been able to execute down the stretch. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if UConn doesn't, you know, kind of blow the doors off Miami. I'm not really expecting them to, um, but I know some are. Um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, the, the late game execution and how, how kind of how that plays out between the two teams. Um, just cause, you know, UConn, um, you know, we haven't been in, in a close game in some time. I think I guess the last one was against Marquette, uh, in the Big East tournament. Um, but you know, we have been tested in the first half, uh, in a lot of these games, we've been down kind of deep into the half. Um, and we, we've kind of brought it back on the, on the backs of Sunogo and, you know, Andre Jackson just, doing everything you possibly can on the court, dishing out to all of our shooters on the perimeter. Um, but I'm definitely scared. Like, like Patrick said, I agree with that. Uh, Miami's a great team. They're, they have a great coach. Um, their run has been incredibly impressive. I mean, they, they've had the hardest path to get here by far, um, you know, playing a, a really tough Drake team and then taking down Indiana team led by, you know, one of the best players in college basketball and Trace J- Jackson Davis. Um and then, uh, you know, taking down that Houston team, kind of blitzing them. I mean, that that game really wasn't that all that close at all. I mean, it was, you know, close in the first half. Miami just pulled away and, and blew the doors off of them. Um, you know, a top five defensive team. What they were able to do there was was definitely frightening. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd say that, you know, there's um, legitimate reason to be to be scared. Um, but, you know, I still I still feel good about our chances. I I. One thing I'll say, I don't like that we're, I think, minus 150 to win the title at this point going into the Final Four. Um, I love it and also hate it at the same time because there's a lot of pressure on us with that number. Um, But, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, luckily we don't have to play the games. uh, and None of the people tweeting about the odds or anything like that have to do so. And, um, yeah, we should say a few, uh, give a few shout outs. Thanks to Texas. Uh, for really choking uh, against Miami at the end there. I think that was huge for UConn fans. So many uh, Husky fans are able to go to Houston this weekend because Texas did not make it. Um, Yeah, you know, I I have to say, it has really been all smiles about UConn through this NCAA tournament. And as someone whose freshman year of college was uh the 2006 loss uh to included the 2006 loss for UConn to George Mason Mason while as a student 
that was pretty hard. That was like, it was like scary. It was spooky. I, I was like shook, seriously. And you guys know I'm a very cool customer. Uh, you know, I, I keep it pretty, pretty calm. But I was like, holy shit. This is the guy who coached the biggest upset, um, in my opinion, UConn men's basketball was never the same after that loss. Uh, this is like a Game of Thrones line that I only know from Wikipedia. Uh, but apparently there's like a line where it's like someone someone gave a flower to someone who wasn't his wife. And they're like, everybody stopped smiling after that. That was That was the George Mason loss. You know, like everybody stopped smiling after the George Mason loss. And even 09, we didn't feel the same magic and we didn't experience the same magic. And then 11 and 14, you know, anyway, all of that to say, you know, you're feeling so confident about UConn and how they're playing right now. They're, they're beating the shit out of opponents. Haven't lost, haven't, haven't beat anyone by less than 15 uh, playing better really than when they were during their 14 and 0 start to the season. Uh, odds on favorites to win the national championship, as as Ryan mentioned. The other funny thing is that not, they're just such strong favorites that like even the the most strongest, most possible outcomes include UConn in the final uh, losing. Right? It's it's UConn winning and then UConn losing to two other people. Those are kind of it all. Um, all of that to say. UConn is heavy favorites going into this one. Jim Laranega is a very good coach. He has done this before. He has slayed a dragon. He slayed this dragon, this literal dragon. Uh, it's obviously a lot of time has passed and what have you. So now I'm now I'm back to my back to normal. Uh Patrick, uh what is it about the style of Jim Laranega, the the approach that he has? What is it about his teams and this Miami team that should worry us in terms of the matchup against this UConn team that we know is great, but not perfect? I'm glad you asked that. Um, you know, it, this is going to be a free-flowing offense that UConn will have to try to contain. They got they, they have five guys out on the perimeter. Um, their big bet, uh, their big man. Norshad, make sure I pronounce this correctly. Uh, oh my God, Norshad Omir. Uh, Norshad Omir, yeah, that that sounds yeah. good. Um, yeah, he's basically he will set high ball screens, and you let those three guards, uh, Pack, um, Wong, and Miller, go to work, and essentially create from there. And you know, I'll start with Pack six one one eighty. You know, that will be. You know, for Tristan Newman, who's what six five, it, it, that's tough to keep in front. You know, a, a small, quick guard like that. Um, you know, Newton will be okay on offense. You know, with with that, but it goes both ways. So, and the guy has range from everywhere. I mean, he had that three where he from the logo. He, he he's just he's a shot maker, and with his athleticism and his quickness, it, it's going to be tough for Tristan Newton to stay in front of him. Uh, Isaiah Wong, who was down to UConn in Miami, I'm pretty sure back in 2019. Um, as I wrote in our article that you can get on our newsletter, um, Dan Hurley took James Booknight and Jalen Gaffney. And I really don't want there to be a moment where 
Hurley has to, you know, channel his Calhoun and just say, like, I took Jalen Gaffney and James Booknight. They're not bad. Yeah. But Wong is one of the smoothest operators that you could that you will find. He lives on the elbow. Uh they say he has one of the highest percentage or the finishing percentages off two feet uh in the NCAA. So he will not be rattled. And then Miller, six seven, ambidextrous. So left I mean he is a lefty, but he can is just as capable going to the right. I saw he was converting around 70% at the rim. Um we have Andre Jackson for that, but then that means Jordan Hawkins will have to chase Isaiah Wong around. And if Jordan Hawkins picks up a couple of quick fouls, then he's not in a rhythm. So all three of those guys will will have to be somewhat contained. And don't sleep on Wooga Poplar, who Hurley apparently said yesterday is going to play in the NBA, a draft-level talent. Uh, he's only a sophomore, but he's essentially like a 3 and D glue guy. I mean, he put up 16 points, 6 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 steals, no turnovers against Texas. He's averaging 12 points per game in the tournament. This is a dude who, like, the light bulb has switched on. And, you know, so those are four guys that could really go off at any time. Uh, let me, you know, and especially referring to the previous three, um, Wong put up 27 against Indiana. Pack put up 26 against Houston. Miller put up 27 against Texas. So it can come from anybody. And then rounding out the starting lineup, which, by the way, is like the highest ranked starting lineup in plus minus uh, in the tournament right now. Uh, Omir is just, he's built like a brick shithouse. He's, you know, 67 or six foot seven, I think two, eight. He's the only guy that weighs more than 215 pounds on the roster. But, he will be an absolute nightmare for Sonogo on the block uh, and, and Donovan Klingon um, because he's just so good at offensive rebounds. He's averaging a double-double, one of the only 14 people uh, in, in the country to average a double-double. And the only hope is, as good as that starting lineup is, is if Omir gets in foul trouble, there ain't nobody coming in. And he picked up two quick ones against Texas. And hopefully that, you know, a couple of the guards, because UConn has the length up and down the roster to at least disrupt some shots, they can, um, you know, they can make life difficult for Miami in ways that Texas and Houston really have, because those are teams that rely more on physicality. I think UConn relies more on length and cohesiveness in their defensive shape. Uh, but I'm interested to hear what Ryan says, because he follows the ACC a lot more. I didn't realize they ran through the ACC. I don't know how they were a five seed. I mean, they had kind of the same as UConn. They had a rough stretch in January, and, and Ryan can go in on that. Um, but kind of a season that mirrored us is they started real hot, stumbled in January, and the committee didn't really reward them for that. And obviously now it's looking like, you know, they were dramatically underseeded, just like UConn. Yeah, Patrick's right. I've watched a good amount of Miami this year, uh, being a Virginia basketball fan as well from having uh, gone to to UVA. Um, I just want to kind of go off of what you were saying about Omir. I mean, Omir is is maybe the best rebounder in college basketball, not named Oscar Shigwe. I know Zach Eady obviously comes to mind just because he's a large man. But in terms of 
rebounding, positioning, physicality, like all of the tools. He's basically college basketball, like Dennis Rodman. He, he is an incredible rebounder, um, can finish inside really well. Um, in addition to that. And yeah, like, like you said, I think that's a, a huge point of emphasis on UConn's kind of game plan is to hammer Miami inside as much as they can. Um, Omir is really the only inside presence. And while he is really good, he's really the only inside presence they have um, down low. Um, so yeah, if we're, if we're able to get him in foul trouble and, you know, just keep pounding it inside and getting easy buckets uh, if he's on the bench, then that's going to be a massive advantage uh, for UConn. And I think could honestly blow the door, uh, blow the game open um, if they're able to do that. Um, so I think that's a huge uh, point of emphasis for Dan Hurley early on, kind of going to Sunogo and and uh, watching him go to work, um, try to pick up a couple uh, of fouls on Omir. Um, also, I wanted to point out, um, you know, you mentioned that Jordan Miller, he's a six seven guard, kind of has sort of a similar body type to Andre Jackson, but, you know, I guess a little bit less meat on his bones. Um, he's a matchup nightmare. And I know that, you know, ideally we have Andre Jackson on Miller to kind of um, negate that, that, uh, that matchup. But that, if we do that, that leaves caravan on one of the, the guards they have on the outside, which, you know, you don't want that caravan's been getting exposed all year by, um, you know, more athletic people, um, than himself. And if he has a, you know, a guard like Wuga Popular, who's, who's, uh, you know, incredibly athletic in his own right, you know, that's, that's a matchup nightmare as well. You, you know, we don't want, we don't want that. So there, there's a couple of things that, um, you know, Dan Hurley is going to have to get creative with in terms of how he defends Miami. Um, and I think, uh, you know, uh, from an offensive standpoint, you know, you mentioned the, the size difference between Tristan Newton and uh, Nigel Pack. I really think that could be a point of emphasis um, on the offensive end. You know, Tristan Newton can kind of um, bully him a little bit in the mid range and kind of get to the rim. Um, Cause as good as Pack is on the offensive end, he's pretty terribly defensively. Um, so I think, you know, Newton is not a guy who really has had to shoulder like a ton of offensive load in, in the tournament. Um, just because, you know, Hawkins and, and everyone else has been lights out. So he hasn't really he's picked his spots um, and, you know, been been productive, um, especially in the St. Mary's game when we were, you know, in a little bit of a danger zone in the first half. And he kind of had those two huge threes to dig us out of the hole. Um, but I think he could have a big game in this one. So, um, you know, I think that that is definitely something that uh, to watch. Um and, you know, in, in terms of how Miami is going to attack, you know, they're going to they're going to run a lot of high ball screens. Um, they're going to try to, you know, get their guards in space. Um, I think, you know, a big a big thing to look out for is, you know, like you, you can't give them any space. I think hedging, doing some hard hedges on the screens, kind of throwing them off their game, not giving them, you know, any open looks from three is going to be big. You know, obviously that leaves the defense a little vulnerable, but you know, recovery is going to be, is going to be huge in this one. Um, and yeah, I mean, my, Miami is a very volatile team. Um, I watched them a lot this year and, you know, when they were on, they were on and they're, they're on right now, full systems go, um, you know, they're, they're definitely a team that can go ice cold as they, as you know, they did in, in January, Patrick mentioned, they went through a rough stretch, um, kind of lost a handful of games. They shouldn't, I mean, 
I think not even a month ago, they lost to Florida State at home. And Florida State had one of their worst teams in, uh, you know, the last 10, 10, 15 years, something like that. Um, If it wasn't for Louisville being, you know, maybe the worst power five team of all time this year, um, you know, a lot more uh, attention would have been put on how bad Florida State was, honestly. Um, And yeah, I mean, it's just that the ACC was bad. It was it was it had a huge down year. Um, you know, didn't, didn't fare well in the tournament either outside of Miami. Um, so, and I, I think, you know, it was a little bit surprising that the, the ACC, you know, on paper, the ACC co-champion, um, was a, a five seed. Um, and they, you know, they, they gave Duke their all in the, in the ACC tournament end up coming up, sh- uh, coming up short on that, on that end. But, um, it is a little odd, but, you know, that's what happens when you have a down year and have some horrible teams in your conference. Um, but all I have to say, you know, they're, they're, they're incredibly dangerous and, you know, UConn is playing their best basketball right now. Um, and, you know, they, they match up pretty well, but Miami's a team that, like I said, can, can just go off in an instant. And if you don't bury them, like they've showed in the tournament, they can come back. You know, you are hearing it more and more people saying that the ACC is bad. Uh, and uh, glad that Ryan can confirm for us uh, some of God, that. Louisville fucking stinks. <laughs> can I just, can I just, can I spend one minute just because of I have friends course. from Louisville? Just say like, they stink. What you a dumpster fire. That's, that's it. I'm just popping in just to remind people that th- that program is a mess. Could not be happening to better people. Oh, you, my goodness. Um, but, uh, on a on a more important level, back to our, our real conversation, you guys had so much great stuff to say about UConn and what Miami brings to the table. Um, so one thing that's been interesting for UConn about this, this run is, you know, obviously, yeah, they've been crushing teams, but they've also been playing against teams with pretty different styles. Iona was different. St. Mary's was different. Arkansas was different. And they all were kind of unique, um, even in a way that you don't see on a day-to-day basis in the Big East. Uh, I think the Big East competition is tough. Stylistically, they are more condensed, let's say. Uh, you have a, a, a wide variety of teams. UConn has crushed them all, but uh, you know, pretty interesting to see what UConn has done against the likes of Iona and St. Mary's, leaning a little bit more on Adama Sonogo. Uh, versus against the Arkansas and Gonzagas of the world, leaning a little bit more on the perimeter players. Um, so how do you think UConn will need to adjust its style for this Miami team? Uh, we know that UConn can bring multiple different looks and styles, so we're excited to see what that looks like. But um, Patrick, what do you, what do you think that uh, that will mean uh, for this matchup against against Miami, how UConn might try to adjust his strategy a little. Ryan alluded to it, um, but Caravan, you know, he's so savvy as a player on the offensive end, you know, with, you know, the proper cuts and, you know, sneaking in for an offensive board. But this really isn't a good matchup for him. Um, yeah, high IQ, you know, coach's son type, type attitude Cal- Caravan brings. But you know what, that ain't going to, cut it uh you know when Miami's playing playground ball and I don't mean that in a negative connotation I mean they are 
they just make shots. Shout out Bob Huggins. But what I think is that is that Naheem Aline music I hear is Madigan beating that Naheem Aline drum. Me and Madigan are card carrying members of that of that club. Free to enter if you guys would like to join. But I think this is a huge game with him because he has the defensive chops to stay with uh Wuga Poplar. Um and his shot is, you know, miraculously recovered. I mean, he was unplayable in January and February. Now, to be fair, a lot of UConn players were at that time. Um, but the three and D that he brings, I think, will really essentially make sure that someone like Poplar doesn't go off. And then you have to hope that UConn's length again disrupts enough. Um, so beyond that, I think a, a lineup featuring a lean. Um, and besides that, I don't think in, in stylistically, there are a lot of changes that can be made. I mean, much has been made about how Hurley has reshaped Andre Jackson, putting him in the dunker spot, having him attack downhill, putting him, having him be the screen setter, uh, essentially because teams are rondoing him. Uh, that's what Mark few did to start. Where they basically put Drew Timmy, who is a revolving door on defense, on him, uh, and said, and it stuck him in the paint because UConn was firing on all cylinders. That didn't work, but it's going to be something that I think Larinaga trots out and tries. And I think if you're Hurley and you're Luke Murray and you're Kamani Young and you're Tom Moore, you are you trust that the offensive flow that this team has found themselves in, all the assists that they have on every bucket. Um, against a team like Miami that doesn't really defensively challenge you. They have athletes, but they are not a unit that defends well as a unit. So I think you'll see them kind of stay the course unless their, their shots are not falling. You know, there, there could be some regression to the mean with Calcaterra and Jordan Hawkins or whatever. Uh, I think there will be more reliance on the bench. I, I, I mentioned this in the article Miami's bench put up 19 points in four tournament games and UConn's bench might have to check my math, but 84 is, I'm pretty sure what the number is. Um, that's Donovan Klingon. That's Naheem Aline stepping in and hitting a couple. That's Joey Calcaterra hitting a couple. Um, rely on that bench because as we've said before, Omir finds himself in foul trouble. You can wear this team out. There's a very good chance UConn goes into the half losing because, Wong is on fire or Miller's, you know, got seven free throws. I mean, he was perfect from the field against Texas. Well, no one has done that since Christian Leitner. Um, you know, they are going to stick with you. But I think UConn can wear them out and eventually, hopefully, run them out of the gym just by kind of just the same way that they have won a lot of their big blowouts this year is just coming at you in waves. You know, Jordan Hawkins misses a couple. Tristan Newton steps up and hits one. Uh, Andre Jackson throws the ball away. Donovan Klingon, you know, blocks it off the rim and, and we're off to the races again. It, it, as long as UConn maintains a relentless style, I don't think any schematic things need to be adjusted unless, you know, the sky is falling and Miami's up by 10 or something with like nine to go. Yeah, I agree with Patrick there. Uh, one thing I'll also point out is, Miami definitely plays a lot faster than UConn. And, you know, that's not, that's not all that surprising given they, they do the four out, uh, one in with the, you know, the, the four guards in the perimeter and, uh, Omir 
in the paint. Um, but we've seen it. UConn, you know, UConn can play at, at that speed. You know, they, they, you know, they, they have a, they're not ranked very highly uh, on the Ken Palm in terms of adjusted tempo, but you know, they they can run with the best of them. And, you know, Andre Jackson actually wants to run most of the time. Um, so, you know, if, if Miami's speeding up the game, I, I think UConn can easily match them. I'm not, I'm not worried about that at all. Um, I think, to, you know, kind of limit the effectiveness of their guards and scoring opportunities for their guards. I think slowing down the game as much as possible, um, you know, and sort of running the offense kind of through Sunogo um, would be the most effective way to do that. Um, but, you know, like, like I said, you know, UConn can run with anyone. So I'm, I'm definitely not, I'm definitely not worried about if the game starts to become a track meet. Um and uh, going back to the the Aline uh, comment that Patrick made, if, if Caravan's getting killed early, you know, wh- whoever it may be, Jordan Miller's on him, Wooga Poplar's blowing by him, I wouldn't be all that shocked if Elaine, Aline uh, ended up playing more minutes than Caravan. I know it sounds kind of crazy, um, but, you know, if he's providing the defensive chops that we need on the perimeter and slowing him down, um, then I think we kind of have to just roll with that. Um, I know that I don't think that's happened, you know, once this entire year. Um, but sometimes, you know, the, the right matchups dictate, you know, lineup changes that, that need to happen. Um, so I think that's something we might see, um, uh, you know, it depends on, you know, how, how Caravan's holding up defensively early on, but kind of on the flip side of that, Caravan has an advantage on the offensive end. He's what he's, one of the most savvy offensive players on our team, um, you know, he can he can really create a mismatch on the offensive end. You know, if if he's especially if he, you know we we Miami you know puts uh, like someone like Wuga Poplar on him, you know, he can back him down easily and get a, get a couple of quick buckets there, especially on the off- offensive rebounding angle of the game as well. Um, but I, I think overall, UConn really needs to beat up Miami the boards. I mean, uh, like I said, other than Omir. They have no one that can really rebound. I mean, the next, you know, or Omir is obviously listed as a forward. Jordan Miller is kind of a, I mean, he's a guard forward hybrid, so to speak, kind of like Andre. Um, but he definitely played, you know, he, he's a wing. He plays on the perimeter a little bit more. Um, but outside of that, Anthony Walker is the next closest, uh, or the, you know, the guy that plays the most for Miami down low. And he averages 10 minutes a game and, three points, not even. So UConn really has to hammer it inside. And I think um, if they're able to do that and, um, you know, kind of take away how effective uh, Omir can be down low, then, you know, we're going to close it out for sure. Um, But like, like I agree with Patrick in that I don't think it really needs to be changed up that much stylistically. I think, the biggest thing is kind of if they're kind of killing us early on with some blow buys and, and, you know, sucking in the defense and, and driving kick game, then we might have to make some adjustments and, you know, get a little bit more uh, quickness and athleticism to match, um, you know, their guard play. Yeah. I mean, look at, at the end of the day, you look at uh, just Ken Palm as a, as a means of thinking about how much should you be scared of a team uh Miami's one ranked one ahead of Arkansas uh and and quite a bit below St. Mary's and and Gonzaga 
and uh, you know, lo- lots of reason for optimism about the way UConn matches up here. Um, but you guys bring up some interesting points that I, I actually thought uh, might be worth even just discussing about this UConn team, which is who are really the 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 great defenders on this UConn team. It's something that people talk about. I think it's something people tweet about when like someone makes a steal. Uh, but who who would you guys say? You know, I, I think some people alluded to uh, what, what Aline brings defensively. Uh, I think it's pretty clear that like Andre Jackson obviously is is just such a force defensively. But um, you know, we all are really anchored by uh, uh, the box scores and the spreadsheets and the scoring and points and home runs. Those are the, those are what's sexy. Uh, but who are who are really like the dog defenders for this UConn team? Help 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 us help me get learned on this. I don't think there's. Well, I mean, Andre Jackson is the number two rated player on Evan Maya for a reason. I mean, he's absolutely insane. I mean, it's, it's just every game; it's just on display, full, full athleticism, just everywhere. And I, I, I got to hand up Maya Culpa here. Uh, I don't think I truly appreciated his impact uh, when Hurley wasn't utilizing him correctly on the offensive end. I honestly thought that the negative outweighed the positive. But now that Hurley has harnessed him, you really start to notice what he does on the defensive end. And you, you, you notice it in person. Um, I know, Amon, you, you've been able to see them live. When you see him up close, I, I had very uh, good seats for the Xavier game, unfortunately, the loss. Uh, shout out Chemo Unity. Um, but you can just see it. You know, the people I were with were just like, he is just far and away the be- the, the best athlete on the floor. And I think when you have a six seven switchable, high IQ player like Jackson, everyone's defensive intensity rises. So there, there there's no other bulldog. There's no stopper uh, on on the team. But when you add him in with Sonogo's footwork defensively is excellent. I mean his his hard head. He went to the Isaiah Isaiah Whaley School of hard hedging over the summer and has become so much better at that. You bring in Klingon, Klingon masks everybody's defensive uh, inabilities like, you know, when you think of Joey Calcaterra or, or Tristan Newton. Uh, so I think because when you have, I think, three to four elite level defenders, that raises the floor of everybody else. And then when you factor in Hurley's coaching and uh, the schematics of Switching, hedging, drop coverage with Klingon. It's all these different looks that offenses have to deal with. And then you insert a rabid, snarling Andre Jackson. That's how you get UConn being this defensive juggernaut that we've seen in the tournament. Um, and, and, and Ryan can add to that, however. And, and the only other thing I wanted to pivot to is what I'm fascinated to see with is Energy Stadium. It's a football stadium, sight lines. That's going to, I, I can't believe I'm talking about this on the pod at nine o'clock on a Wednesday, but sight lines are going to result in some poor looks in the first half. How does each team adjust? You know, if Jordan Hawkins starts off 0 for 6, is he going to go to the hole and, you know, get a couple free throws and get going again like he did with Arkansas? Um, you know, if Miami misses a couple, are they going to start driving the lane and is UConn adjust by, you know, packing it in a little bit more? Uh, those are storylines that I think 
will matter more than I'm, you know, afraid to admit. And it could be something that makes it a lot closer than it really is. Yeah, I honestly, we haven't talked about Klingon yet, but I, I got to bring up the the big man. I mean, Klingon is just an absolute force on the defensive end. I think, or I, I guess Andre Jackson is is rated as the highest uh, defender uh, per Evan Maya on UConn, but, you know, Klingon's a close second, and that's incredibly impressive, uh, you know, given that he's a freshman and a lot of a lot of people thought he would take a lot of time to get acclimated to you know the rigors of Biggie's play and and the you know huge increase in competition level but you know he's been a revelation for for Dan Hurley and I think you know a big area where he can contribute in this game is um if if Miami's guards are kind of getting past UConn you know getting in the paint um, we have Klingon as the the last line of defense, and you know he's obviously not a starter, but he's going to play a decent amount of minutes in this game. He, he's played, uh, you know, I think about fifteen or so minutes in the tournament. Um, so you know, if Miami's able to to kind of get past our first line of defense, Klingon's got to be there. He's got to he's got to be cleaning up the messes. Um, you know, just turning him away from the rim, uh, frustrating them. I think he is going to be you know a major factor in this game. Um, Cause I don't, I don't think, you know, just, just in thinking about the, the teams Miami has played, I know, you know, Trace Jackson Davis um, is obviously a really quality shot blocker, um, but they haven't really played, um, you know, anyone of the caliber that Klingon brings to the defensive end. Um, so I think that is going to be a major aspect in this game and, and could potentially stymie, you know, the, the effectiveness of, of those great Miami guards. Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, UConn just has more players, right? It's it's depth, it's strength, it's the strength of the depth, uh, and that's what uh, really makes it work. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a simpleton. I, I just feel really strongly about UConn's chances, given everything that we've seen. Um, I did want to ask, you know, we, we're, we're running out of time here. You know, our advertisers only give us so much time to do the podcast, but um, you know, I, I'm sure you watched the Miami Texas uh, elite eight game. And I think the part that is maybe if, if even I'm thinking, okay, UConn, UConn is better than Miami. UConn can have a double digit lead on Miami late in the game we saw Miami overcome a double digit lead late in the second half against Texas in the elite eight. What did you see specifically in that moment? And, you know, what, what does that mean for UConn in the, in the no lead is safe uh, kind of sense? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So kind of, kind of going off of that, like from the Texas angle of it, a big reason why Texas was so successful in the tournament is because they're shooting great from the three-point line and they weren't a team that that wasn't a strength of their team, right? Like they, they, I think they shot like 33, 34%, which is, you know, bottom half of teams in college basketball uh, nationwide. And I think in the tournament that, that increased to about like 50, which is, you know, obviously a massive increase and, and leads to, to tournament success. Um, so, and they were hitting against Miami again, you know, they were, they were knocking down their threes. They were, uh, you know, playing, playing really efficiently on the offensive end, but that kind of died out. And once Miami, you know, sort of 
uh, started locking down on defense, I mean, everything changed. Um, I was actually listening to, you know, another podcast uh, earlier today and it was, it kind of felt like Miami, they never, they're never uh, like scared, basically, you know, they're like, Oh, we're down. Well, I guess it's time to lock in and, you know, go on a little run here. Like it, it never feels like they're out of it because they're not just because of the confidence they have in the, you know, the, the ability of their guards to just go off at any moment, uh, you know, high level shot making across the board. Um, but in terms of specifically how they got back in that game, I saw a lot of, you know, Miami's, uh, we, we mentioned this earlier, but they run a lot of high ball screens to try to, you know, get, get their guards um, a little bit of space on the perimeter. And they were doing that and they were just sitting in the mid range and just picking them apart all day long. Um, so that's going to be, uh, you know, really important for UConn to, to, um, I wouldn't say, I would say probably not play like a drop coverage like they do with, with Klingon just to not kind of like leave them, you know, two to three feet of space in the mid range, um, just so they can, you know, hit those easy, easy, uh, you know, like 12 foot shots. Um, but they, Miami really has a ton of guys who can score in isolation situations. And that's what they're doing against Texas. They spread the court. Um, they, they run, you know, one high screen and then they, they ex- exploit the mismatch. They put that on full display, let them go to work. Um, and I think UConn, like, you know, you were mentioning earlier, we have some dogs on defense to stop that. You know, Andre Jackson is maybe the best defender, if not you know, top five defender, it, probably the most versatile uh, in the country. Um, and we have guys who can switch. And I think that's, you know, really important against a team like Miami that, um, you know, can can really get going, especially from behind the arc and in the mid-range too. Um, it, it was interesting to look at like the different shot charts. I saw this tweet about like the different shot charts for every team in the regions and UConn's uh, looked a lot like Alabama's where they had, you know, a lot of threes and a lot of um, like shots really close to the rim. You know, Miami's just kind of all over the place. You know, they, they, they shoot any shot they can get. If they have a foot of space, they're going to take it no matter where they are. And they're making them now, which is obviously a little scary. Um, but like, you know, I, I agree with you and that I, I feel good about where UConn is. Um, you know, they're, they're playing better than anyone. Don't get it twisted um even even better than Miami even though Miami has probably had the you know the tougher path to this point um so I I really I really think you know our our defensive chops and our ability to match them on the offensive end and maybe even take that a step further um you know is gonna is gonna lead us to victory Mm -hmm. and look hey uh Vegas is uh the folks in Vegas are quite good at at what they do we have that on pretty good authority. So um, it's not bad to be an odds on favorite heading into the tournament. Uh, it's, it's a commentary on, you know, not just UConn's upcoming matchup, but the field as a whole, we're not really that scared of to be, to just, you know, we're just, we're just chatting here, but you know, uh, we're not too concerned either with the matchup about FAU against FAU uh, or San Diego State, as it were. To be honest, I I'm getting tired of San Diego State. I I know I know as a uh, you know a UConn fan and a, a Big East a Big East guy. I uh, 
I shouldn't be rooting for Creighton, even though, you know, they're obviously rivals of, of UConn, just given the, the Big East, um, you know, interconference rival. But I was rooting for Creighton. San Diego State is just the biggest muck fest of a team. They they play so slow. They just, you know, they don't take good shots. They don't make a lot of shots, but they just grind it out uh, as much as they can. It kind of reminds me of the uh, the Mick Cronin teams of the old Big East. Just, you know, just some, some of the worst basketball, some of the toughest, most hard-nosed basketball you'll see. But, um, you know, it, it's kind of annoying at this point. <laughs> um, but, you know, all credit to them. You know, they played extremely hard. They, they beat, you know, the number one overall seed in Alabama, who uh, hypothetically, I guess, had the best player in the tournament, you know, even though he statistically had one of the worst NCAA tournaments of all time. Um, which is pretty hilarious. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm definitely rooting for, for FAU in that game. I think it would be a more fun matchup for UConn, um, overall as well. If, if we, uh, you know, saw FAU in the, in the championship. So would be so interesting, of course, to run up against Jalen Gaffney, uh, exactly. Props yes. to him, uh, and really quite an incredible run for that team. Nobody would ever really reasonably, if they were sober, uh, guess that FAU would make a final four. So uh, pretty good for them. Ryan, you hit on a couple of lightning rods there. Uh, the whether or not you should root for big East teams in the NCAA tournament is a pretty controversial topic. We'll, we'll have to get, we'll have to get to that on the next podcast. Mick Cronin, another lightning rod. Uh, we enjoyed watching him collapse uh, and yeah, it would have been annoying to run into him in the tournament too. Like I said, Jim Laranega, it's pretty spooky as well for 2006 reasons. Uh, I really, really, that was, that was spooky to me, but Hey, congrats to the Miami hurricanes in their first final four. Uh, we're all so proud of you and we hope you cherish the moment until, uh, whatever happens happens it is not the best, uh, these games at the football stadiums. Um, we've seen really serious injuries happen. We've seen, as Patrick mentioned, sight lines be an issue. It's just kind of a weak environment. Uh, but that being said, uh, myself and other members of the team will be on site in Houston. Uh, be sure to check that out. We'll have coverage on the fast, the Yukon fast break, as well as the Yukon blog. Uh, This is Amon Kidwai for Ryan Goodman and Patrick Martin. Thank you all so much for listening.